Hey there, sports fan. Welcome to the Draft Site Podcast, your home for all professional sports drafts. Brought to you by DraftSite.com, the original full round mock draft site. Now let's get to the show. Hello, everybody. This is Jared here at DraftSite.com, joined by DJ Boyer and Zach Gutierrez. We are here for a special NFL edition. The first one, 2016 NFL Draft. We're going to be talking that. We're going to be talking DJ's Fierce 40 and Zach's top teams in college football. Then we're going to be talking about some of the off-season moves that have happened so far in the NFL and the off-season. So, how are you guys doing? I'm doing great. Also great. Echoing Zach's sentiments. Very nice. Well, looking at next year's 2016 NFL Draft, right now we have... Joey Bosa as the number one pick. Do you still feel that's going to be the case? Well, I think right now he's the number one prospect on the board, but kind of like this year where Leonard Williams was our number one guy all year, you know, defensive tackle not being one of the glamour positions. Quarterback and some of the other skill positions are often seen uh, with a little more value with teams at the top of the draft. So I suspect there's probably a good chance he does not go number one, if he even does declare. We have to remember he is he would be an underclassman. But, uh, you know, not playing that glamour position, I'm not sure he would be the top pick. But right now I definitely would say that he is uh, the number one prospect. Again, much like Leonard Williams this past year, we had a number one on our board all year. Still think he was uh, number one going into the draft. And I think that Bosa is just is so productive and can do so many things that, He'll definitely be uh, one of the top five prospects because uh, if he does declare, the question is, you know, will he remain number one overall? I mean, we've seen defensive ends go number one. It's just not, uh, you know, usually uh, a, I'd say that just real attractive pick. I mean, we did see it with Jadavion Clowney a couple years ago, so there's, there's a good possibility. Zach, why do you think Bosa is going to be number one? An ultra-productive player. He's got an amazing size. He's a workout warrior. He's got the pedigree. His brother's a five-star recruit that, has it down to Florida State, Florida, Ohio State. His dad was a first-round pick of the Miami Dolphins. I mean, just watch Ohio State football. He, he's dominant. He's the best player on the best team in the country. And uh, he's a lot like Leonard Williams in the sense that he'll probably be at top boards all year long. And then because it's the NFL and it's a quarterback-driven league, if one of the quarterbacks has an excellent season, uh, you know, you're, you're probably going to see teams that are picking first overall are going to be in need of a quarterback, so it's not always the best player that goes first. But this early in a mock draft, I have no problem with Bosa going first, especially if it's Tampa Bay picking. Zach, who do you compare Joey Bosa to in the NFL right now? I mean, everybody and their mother is comparing him to J.J. Watt. Uh, And and that's not a terrible comparison. It really isn't. You really need to watch him to understand how good he is. He came in, he's going to be a true junior. As a true sophomore, he was a top ten player in all of college football. Uh, I know... ESPN did a ranking. I think they rated him six. And as a true freshman player, he was about as NCAA ready as uh, as as they come. This is a kid at 270 pounds that can do backflips, uh, and he's long, he's strong, and like I said, he's a he's a warrior in the weight room. So, I mean, he's to me the best prospect in this upcoming draft. Kind of a guy who was a little more of a tweener back in the day, but I'm going to go a little bit old school. He was kind of floated between linebacker and defensive end. I see a lot of Rick Gaskin in him. A guy was a very, very productive edge rusher for the New Orleans Saints. A lot of the same characteristics there, the way he actually uh, attacked along the edge. I think that there's a, a better chance of him going number one overall because we talk about the fact this is a quarterback-driven league. 
where the quarterbacks, you know, after Mariota and Winston this past year, we had a huge drop-off. Uh, you know, didn't see another quarterback taken for another two rounds. Right now, I don't see a quarterback that's going to be ranked as high as either of those two, but I'd say that we're probably going to see more quarterbacks at the top. You could see maybe six or seven quarterbacks in maybe the first three rounds, but I don't see a true-cut number one guy that one quarterback that's just say, yeah, that's obviously the number one pick right now going into next year. But I think there's more of them. So it's, it's going to be an interesting draft from that uh, standpoint, seeing if one of these quarterbacks can actually – you know, kind of take control this year and, and establish himself as the number one pick. But I think it is deeper at the top of the draft with this class if everyone declares that we suspect it, uh, that we kind of suspect will. DJ, you had mentioned last year, you're probably the first one to say this, but at one point you thought Christian Hackenberg could be the number one pick overall. Now, going in, a lot of people think he's the best quarterback now, so they've, they've caught up with your projections. But, but we still have him number five in the latest mock draft. Why and why not do you think he could be the number one pick? He's the guy that's got all the tools. I mean, done pretty well as far as kind of picking these uh, guys who kind of have all the tools and they just got to put it together. Matt Ryan that was a guy that you were, uh, was high on right out of the gate. I said the same about Matthew Stafford about the two seasons before he was taken number one overall, the end of his uh, – uh, freshman season, just had all the makings of a number one pick. I, uh, if you just look at raw mechanics and, and just the way uh, the pedigree coming in, I, I think Hoppenberg is better than both of them quarterbacks. Uh, but really progressed. There was a lot of problems with uh, decision-making last year, and I just think the new offense, things didn't gel at all times with uh, James Franklin and the coaching staff there at Penn State. So this is really going to be an important year to see how much of this is really on Christian Hackenberg and how much of this really had to do with this change in offensive philosophy and just uh, just overall, just I would say miscombobulation is probably the best word I could come up with with that Penn State offense. They just looked very, very lost for long stretches at a time last year where they couldn't get anything going on offense, whether it was throwing the ball or running the ball, not to mention the uh, top two receivers on the Penn State team, both being freshmen as well. So they were a very, very young team on offense and combining that with a brand-new system. We're just going to have to see what they can do uh, year two under his belt if he, if he can put it all together and be that number one overall prospect or top quarterback that many people think he, that he can be. Zach, who do you like better, Christian Hackenberg or Cardell Jones? Well, first of all, I don't like Hackenberg. I remember when me and DJ did our top ten quarterbacks last year, he put Hackenberg on there. and I think just Hackenberg, he's just sexy. He's, he's a big, good-looking kid. And, and when I say good-looking, I mean, like, his footwork looks good. His throwing motion looks really good, but if you watch him, he's always under throwing receivers. He's not incredibly accurate. Uh, he's far from prolific. I'll take Connor Cook over him. I'll take Cardell Jones over him, and, I, and I'll probably take Jared Goff over him. But you're not going to find many people at this stage in the process that think as lowly of, of Hackenberg as I do. I, I still, I take Connor uh, Connor Cook over Cardell. Uh, I have not seen enough from Cardell yet. Obviously, it's uh, tantalizing for him to be as big as he is and play as well as he did in really big games against really good teams, but this is a kid that's only had you know, really, really three starts. So uh, when comparing him to somebody like Connor Cook, I think Connor Cook's a slam dunk, a guy with great footwork, a guy that doesn't make mistakes, a guy that started for two years. It's a proven winner. So to me, he's the first quarterback off the board at this point. And then, like I said, keep an eye on Jared Goff because I watched Jared Goff, and 
he looks a little goofy and he's a little skinny, but he, he's got a little Joe Montana in him. And I think this is a guy this year that's going to put up some crazy, crazy numbers. And even if he isn't a first-round prospect, people are going to know who he is by the end of the year. Jared Goff out of California. DJ, there's one guy, there's one quarterback that I know you love, and you're, you're, you're talking about him potentially being taken over all those guys. Right now we don't have him projected there. But that is Gunnar Keel. You want to talk about him a little bit? Uh, I think if anyone has a chance uh, outside of Hackenberg to be the top quarterback overall, and it's not Cardell Jones because, again, the body of work isn't there. But, I mean, three games, you know, against, uh, you know, the, the likes of uh, Alabama and Oregon and, and Wisconsin, that's, that's about as good as it gets. Uh, but Gunnar Keel, just fantastic season. No one really talked about him at Cincinnati last year and what he had to work with. I don't think anyone did as much with as little as he actually had last season. You've got to remember, this is another guy who, uh, just with all, everything going on at Notre Dame and all the, the changes we see at quarterback, this was a guy who was uh, supposed to be that, that Notre Dame guy that maybe they would turn to. Uh, and I think that that was really the plan when we had the academic suspension, Everett Golson. And before that, Keel actually made the surprise move and actually transferred out of Notre Dame, moved to Cincinnati. So I think... I'm not sure how much Gunnar Keel had actually known about that because had he uh, kind of wonder had uh, we really known that the Golson when the first academic suspension came down, if if he would have had really had wind of that, if he would have stayed at Notre Dame and maybe it's a different situation now, maybe he's quarterbacking the Irish and not uh, Malik Zaire for this coming season. But uh, he was just fantastic with Cincinnati last year, and again, really didn't have a lot of weapons to work with. Uh, another guy who. You know, him and Hackenberg, you're talking about two quarterbacks that were, you know, guys that were within the top ten overall prospects in their class coming into college. And, you know, they've got, they've got all the tools. Hackenberg's got to put everything together. Keel really looked the part last year. No one, nobody really noticed at the University of Cincinnati. Keel looked the part, but let me interrupt here. He is, I mean, he's, he was average at Cincinnati. To put him above Connor Cook is, is crazy. Uh, I'm looking at our mock draft. There's a few things that I think are a little off. I, Vernon Hargraves, I and mean, this is a guy that's probably going to be a top ten pick. We got we got him way too low. But Gunnar Keel, the New Orleans, you know, a team that drafted their heir apparent this year. I mean, I, I don't see it happen. I don't see him being a first round pick. Uh, completion percentage it was less than sixty percent. When putting up him right next to Jared Goff, I mean, there's no com- there's no comparison. Uh, I, I mean, I I don't think Keel will be drafted in the first of five rounds. I, I, I watched some Cincinnati games this year, and I know he didn't have much around it, but, but neither did golf. And, and uh, I just I, I, don't, I don't see him really even coming close to being a first-round pick, so i got to disagree with you on him. Just jumping in for a second, is that just looking at the statistics alone, he threw for over, over 3,000 yards, 31 touchdowns, to only 13 interceptions, and against... Ohio State, he had 352 yards, four touchdowns, and zero interceptions. Ohio State absolutely hammered them, and it was early in the game. I mean, this is a game that I that I watched pretty closely. Uh, I'm not saying he's not a prolific college quarterback, but then go put him next to to Jarrett. Uh, Golf threw for 3,973 yards, 35 touchdowns, seven interceptions. Played his best games against against teams when he had to score a lot of points. Threw for 360 yards against Oregon. Threw for seven touchdowns and 460 yards against Colorado in a double overtime win. Uh, only threw two interceptions once in the entire season against Stanford. Stats-wise, you can put him right next to him, and, and he beats him literally in every single way. And he's been a, a starter for multiple years. And he's uh, playing against the Pac, playing against the Pac-12. 
Well, Jared Goff's a great quarterback. There's no disputing that. Um, and he's, he's played well in big games. He's put up big numbers when, you know, they've been down sometimes against uh, defenses that, that aren't as tough as what they should be. But, you know, he's, he's performed well when he's had to. And, you know, he definitely doesn't have the talent around him as well. But just don't see the same NFL-type throws. Um, there's really the accuracy, I think, is a little bit better there. But don't see the arm strength. Don't see, especially throwing to the sideline. To me, that's the first thing I want to look at when I'm looking at a a guy that I think is going to be a top-tier NFL quarterback, just definitely don't see the pop, don't see the zip. Um, I think he's going to be a, an NFL-ready quarterback. I don't think he's going to be first-round material. Keel is not a slam dunk to even come out this year, but I think if he has another big year like he does, and I think that Cincinnati program, I think, does not get as much recognition as it should for, for turning out a lot of good prospects. And you really look over the last five to ten years, it's, it's not really the big names, but sometimes the guys even taken in the middle rounds, they just seem to pan out. Cincinnati's done a very good job at making players NFL ready. That's another thing. That, that offense, it's an NFL-type offense, and I think uh, Gunnar Keel's going to open a lot of eyes if he puts up numbers like he did last season. I mean, this is a guy, Gunnar Keel, against Memphis this year with 11 of 27 for 216 yards and one touchdown. With That's a 40% completion percentage. Against Memphis. At home, at home. This is against Memphis at home. And I guess that's against a Memphis team that should have been ranked. Or do we think Memphis is a bad team? I believe Memphis lost three games. Three games last year. One on the road to UCLA. One on the road to Virginia by only eight points. Memphis is a very good team. I mean, they weren't that good. That was almost our first big debate. I was excited. (laughs) Hey, that's good. Uh, Good thing. I know. We always agree. We always agree. So it's nice to mix it up. (laughs) <laughs> All right, so going back, let's go back to uh, defensive linemen for a second because one guy that I think is going to have a big season, and keep in mind, I, I am a sucker for huge high school prospects, and the reason I am is because when it comes to the NFL draft, a lot of these scouts have been watching these guys since high school. So if they're number one prospect coming out, they, you know, they, they already know their athleticism. They, they know their, their background and they almost kind of will them into, you know, the front of the pack. And that guy for me is Robert Namdichi. Uh, he was the number one prospect coming out of high school, went to Mississippi, has had really not, not a great time there so far, but he could potentially come out this year and dominate. If he dominates, does he get taken over a guy like Joey Bosa? And where does he stack up, if not, against guys like Sean Oakman out of Baylor, huge six foot eight guy, and Shalit Calhoun out of Michigan State? Well, I think with him, it's kind of where you put him because he's really kind of moved around as kind of that Joker defender, playing at about 275 to 280 pounds. So sometimes he's placed in the middle of the line, sometimes okay. along the end. He's really, a lot of times we see these tweeners that are defensive ends or outside linebackers, uh, where here you've got a situation where it's defensive end slash defensive tackle. Uh, I, I don't think that he would have a chance to jump over Bosa. It's interesting. I think if anyone does, it's from Bosa's same position. Another guy nobody talks about, uh, Emmanuel Ogba, who came, really came on the second half of last season. I don't think there was a better defender in the nation. Played at Oklahoma State. Uh, they were really getting decimated, and he's a guy who teams just, they were double and sometimes triple teaming him, and he was still making plays. He was the only guy along the defense. They had someone else along that defensive line. Uh, you probably would have seen some ridiculous and crazy numbers. They would have had anyone that would have pressure off and some pressure off 
the uh, the amount of attention that he received. Uh, it's, it's kind of funny that I think the only one on the defensive side of the ball that, that probably has the best chance at unseating Bosa plays his same position. And Ogba's just a great defensive end, a guy that is really coming on late, uh, picks up football very late, was uh, you know kind of a late bloomer, didn't play, I believe, till his junior year in high school. So he's a guy that's kind of still learning the position, kind of a Ziggy Ansaw type deal here where we saw him make that meteoric rise when he was at BYU and become a top 10 pick. Ogba's kind of the same deal. I think I have him rated, uh, I believe, number eight, somewhere, uh, you know, at the tail end of the top ten. I think if anyone has a chance to overtake Bosa, it would probably be him just because uh, But he's just got so much raw talent. But he's got to get some, some more people around him to really kind of get those numbers and those stats that will kind of jump out at you. So, I'm going to go back to agreeing with uh, DJ like normal. I, I like Ogba a lot. And uh, I, although I don't think he's going to overtake Bosa, I, I think, in, like, like Hackenberg, uh, and DJ is just known almost like, and I'm not going to say a household name, but very well known because of how high of a high school recruit he was and because the eyes have been on him so long. Uh, he, he's big and, uh, he, he's all over the field for somebody that's over 275 pounds, but there's something missing to him. And I, I'm not sure. I think this year he, he's going to struggle a little bit more, but, uh, I mean, Mississippi's probably going to have three or four first-rounders, and this is a, a very, very talented, talented team. But uh, if it's not Agba or it, it's not Bosa, I, I mean, Calhoun, I I don't he's – he's definitely not in the same category in terms of size because all the guys we're talking about are floating around 275, 280 pounds. Calhoun isn't as big, but he's a, he's a true defensive end in a, in a 4-3 system. This is a guy that's been prolific since he came to Michigan State, and uh, maybe him – He's the the other the other guy that could. Uh, I don't see him ever unseating Bosa, but uh, I like him more than MDJ. Well, let's let's go to the outside real quick because there's a couple you know great prospects there and two guys I really like a lot. That's Miles Jack out of uh, UCLA, and out of Georgia we have um, sorry Leonard Floyd. How do you think those guys stack up against the outside linebackers that came into the draft this year in 2015? Uh, Miles Jack is like Shaq Thompson on steroids. Uh, he's he's a guy that has an understanding of how to play football on the offensive side of the ball, getting the reps he has at, uh, at running back, and I think he's one of the more exciting players in college football. He's going to get a lot of press time, so I have no problem with him going in the in the top you know, 15 for, for an outside linebacker. He's a guy that could probably play an inside linebacker in a 3-4. And uh, Leonard Floyd is a big name in them, and Georgia is stacked at linebacker this year. Georgia and Ohio State might have the best linebacking cores in the country. Uh, but uh, I expect a little-known player, um, Jake Gaines, who is a transfer, was UAB's best player. Uh, he, he ended up transferring to Georgia, and he's going to get some some playing time, and that's somebody that I'm really excited to see play with Floyd, and uh, I mean, uh, I think Georgia, if they can find a quarterback, they're going to be dangerous. I like Leonard Floyd. I, I'd like to see them add a little bit more to his game. I think because Georgia was so stacked, especially in the middle of that defense, they really just kind of asked him to rush the passer, and he just really seemed a little bit out of control. He doesn't have the, the overall control to his game. just seems a little bit, I don't want to say goofy, but just someone who... It's not all there. He's kind of like a one-trick pony, a lot like Elvis Doomerville was at Louisville, and i got to admit I wasn't very high on him. And, of course, his size kind of worked against him, but, of course, he's been very productive at the NFL level. Now, Floyd, when it comes to just rushing the passer, is one of the best, one of the best there is and would have been 
probably a first-round pick in this draft had he declared because he was a draft-eligible sophomore last year. But I think it was a pretty good decision to kind of make his game a little more well-rounded. And again, I, I think that actually having so much talent there at linebacker, they let him kind of be a one-trick pony, just your job is to rush the passer and really not do a whole lot of anything else. So it's not that I don't want to say that Leonard Floyd isn't a complete linebacker. It's just he really hasn't had a chance to showcase it. If he is, I think he could be a top-ten pick overall. It's just I'm hoping that Georgia, uh, he's asked to do a little bit more, and maybe maybe he will this season. Last year, he, you know, people would say, you know, is he can he play the run? Can he do some of these other things? And my, my real response is I don't know. Uh, a lot of times you just see players who, you know, maybe aren't asked to do things as much. But really with Floyd, that's all he was really asked to do. So uh, it's kind of hard to grade him right now, but he's so good at, at what he's you know, what he's asked to do and the fact that, you know, he's just so athletic. I mean, you gotta, you got to think this guy's a first-round prospect, but you really just got to see a little more out of him just because um, uh, they really didn't ask him to do a whole lot. Miles Jack, uh, another guy, he, he's definitely top-ten pick. Uh, he's a guy that probably midway through his freshman season, you could have drafted him in the NFL, and he could have went somewhere. He's just one of those rare breed guys where he's just waiting the three years to be eligible. I mean, he just maybe even the end of high school. This, there's not a lot of players who can say that about, but this guy was, is, was ready just from the get-go. He just looks like an, an NFL player and looks like he's bound for stardom at the next level. He reminds me a lot of, and even though this guy really didn't pin on the NFL, at his age, he reminds me a lot of Ernie Sims, another guy that's a top-ten pick you know, at a linebacker position, which is becoming increasingly rare unless you're an elite pass rusher like, like a Vaughn Miller. Good comparison. DJ, go back to Leonard Floyd for a second. Can you compare them to other Georgia standouts like Jarvis Jones and Justin Houston? How do you compare them amongst the three? Uh, right now, I'd say that's probably uh, Floyd probably has the best pass rushing ability, even though uh, Jarvis Jones had all kinds of you know crazy numbers there at, at Georgia. But he was asked to do a little bit more. It wasn't just rushing passer. But again, there's there's always been good talent around him, uh, you, you know, when you're at Georgia, you're talking about a defense that's usually seeing three to four players getting drafted almost every year, and it's kind of weird because we never really think of Georgia having a stout defense. They, they never really put up those top ten-like numbers, but individually, there's a lot of, just a lot of good players there, uh, and again, it's kind of hard to make that comparison still until we see Floyd do more, but from a pure pass rushing standpoint... Uh, I, I think he's off the charts, and I think he's probably the best pass-rush linebacker they've had in quite some time. Jarvis Jones needs to show me one ounce of anything, and uh, I, I would I would jump to his uh, rescue, you know, him being a Pittsburgh Steeler, but he's been, in college, uh, I think Jarvis Jones was the best out of the three, and I don't think many people would, would argue with me there, but jumping to the pros, Jarvis Jones doesn't have that elite athleticism that for a while I thought you could get away with, but it's one of the positions outside linebacker where the measurables are proving to be incredibly important. If the players don't stack up and, and they don't have a decent uh, shuttle time, they don't have a 40-yard dash time, they tend not to translate. I guess from a projection standpoint, i got to say that he's better than Jarvis because Jarvis has you know, shown me nothing. And, and Houston might be the right. best pass rusher in, in the entire NFL. So, Yeah, well, well Houston was his second-round uh, second pick. Third-round pick. He third was very... Third round pick. He was very productive at Georgia, and part of the reason why he fell was because he was a sophomore. And I think did he get busted with a. No, he, he wasn't great in coverage. But like you said, when you have uh, a system in place like uh, 
like like the Seahawks or the Falcons, where you can have a guy that's just a pass rusher. I mean, that's incredibly valuable in the in, in the NFL. You you don't have to drop back in coverage all the time. You don't need to be a three down linebacker. I think as long as you can stop the run and rush the passer. Uh, you can you can learn to do small things in, in coverage, but they're not going to be – and people are figuring this out. Someone's a guy that couldn't do anything in coverage, and I think that's why he fell to the third round. Now, Zach, you loved this year's wide receiver class, but looking at the 2016 wide receiver class, right now we only have two in our first round, and that's Laquan Treadwell out of Mississippi and Richard Higgins out of Colorado State. How do you feel this class stacks up against the 2015 class, and who are some of the other guys that we should keep an eye out for? It doesn't really stack up to any of the last two classes because, uh, um, I mean, the last two classes have just been exceptional. Rashard Higgins, though, is excellent. He looks, he looks a little slight to frame, and I'm not sure if he actually is six foot two, which he's listed at, but I really uh, don't see any receivers that are, that are worthy of top ten picks. Baylor's got 2,000-yard catchers that can sneak in there. Uh, Ohio State always is going to have a receiver that's going to be drafted in the first or second round under Urban Meyer, and it's going to be tough to predict for people that don't watch Ohio State football because they don't pass the ball that much, and when they do pass the ball, they kind of they, they diversify many different receivers. Michael Thomas, nephew of Keyshawn Johnson, is, is a guy that could, I would not be surprised if he snuck in the first round. Uh, he's a guy that was third receiver this year, second or third receiver. He caught over 700 yards, uh, showed a big time in the national championship games, but if, you, if you're just looking at somebody that could sneak in there that's big and has all the intangible, intangibles, Michael Thomas is uh, somebody to keep an eye on. Well, I think Tyler Boyd, the wide receiver out of Pittsburgh, might be the other guy who has a, has a chance again going in the first round. Not sure he really has that real top-end speed or that uh, being that big play threat that a lot of teams are going to be looking for, kind of put that uh, sub-4-4 four, four number for, for a guy that you're going to pick in like the top 20. That, that uh, a lot of teams are going to look for, but pretty good blocker as well. You know, they did a lot of running, especially a power running game with James Connor last year. They really kind of uh, did a lot of running and in kind of a spread formation. He did a pretty good job as far as feeling the, the corner and actually doing some blocking. Pretty good route runner, good hands. Uh, but he's able to show kind of more consistency with some, some big playability and some top-end speed. He has the possibility of, of being the first wide receiver uh, taken in this class. But I think this is a – I think it's a very good bet that we don't receive or taking probably in the top 15 picks for this draft. Even though it's with the NFL becoming such a passing league and wide receivers are always seem to be on a commodity that, that teams are going to need, it's probably going to be a position where they're going to look in second, third, and fourth rounds. Or there's there's going to be a probably a bigger call for, for players at other positions just because of the value you can get by the wide receivers that just don't have the elite talent it looks like in this draft pile. Let's stay on the offense for a second, and let's talk about this special team position. Outside of Ezekiel Elliott at running back, who are some other running backs that you think could potentially go in the first or second round, DJ? Uh, right now, I don't know if there, there are any, quite honestly. I think, uh, you know, Derrick Henry, and again, what Zach was talking about with Laquan, uh, Laquan Treadwell and his injury, you got to remember Derrick Henry, not as severe, but he had a, a uh, kind of a gruesome injury last year as well. So, and and I think that uh, possibly Jonathan Williams, uh, the fact that uh, we've got a couple of good uh, running backs here at Arkansas. As a matter of fact, don't be surprised if Arkansas is, is this year's Missouri type team in the SEC. There's always seems it's a very tough conference. There always seems to be that one team that kind of flies under the radar. No one really expect, 
expect. Don't be surprised if Arkansas finds themselves in the SEC championship game this year. I will call it now. That's, that's a team who easily could be in the top ten. Uh, and, and I think Arkansas is really – and they've got some good offensive linemen. It, it just seems like this could be the year, a very good tight end, a couple of good running backs with some uh, good offensive linemen. We could see some very good numbers. The only problem is there you, you kind of get that split backfield. It's kind of like what we saw when, you know, uh, Felix Jones and Darren McFadden were both uh, kind of running it up uh, at, at Arkansas as well. They, they always seem to have a couple of good runners there. So I don't, I don't know if we're going to see a Heisman-type candidate, but when it comes to a one-two punch running the football, it's probably as good as it gets. And I think that uh, Williams has the has the talent to probably be a second-round back. Uh, but I think right now maybe the, the only true first-rounder, uh, I would say without a doubt, would probably be maybe Ezekiel Elliott with, with Williams and, and maybe even Derrick Henry again if he's able to come back from that injury and, and kind of be at 100% when the season starts, that maybe he is a possibility of going in the first round as well. All right. Uh, maybe Derrick Henry sneaks in there. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, he doesn't have enough lateral speed for me to consider him a first-round running back. Ezekiel Elliott, unless he, barring some injury, he's a no-brainer because, I mean, he's excellent in all facets of the game. James Conner could sneak in there, and I'm with DJ in uh, how good Arkansas could be this year because Arkansas has two of the better backs. Uh, Alex Collins probably translates better to the pros. But Jonathan Williams is another guy that could be a mid-round pick, and uh, my eyes on—I um, totally agree with with DJ that I love that you're that you're bringing up this early that Arkansas with Brent Bielma is a is a team to really really keep an eye on. This is a team that could be very very good this year, and uh, I think it starts with the running backs, and uh, both of them both of them are good. But if it's not Ezekiel Elliott, I gotta go. I gotta go James Conner because if he can run a sub four five forty at his size, I mean he's starting to look a lot like Eddie George. Well, speaking of some of the best teams in college football next year, Zach, who are some of your top ten teams next year? I know there's a lot to sort out, especially as there's some transfers and some spring balls still coming up, coming along the way. But top of mind, who are some of your top five in college football for next season? All right, so for the top five, we'll go number one to me is, is the Buckeyes. They lose Devin Smith. They lose Michael Bennett. Other than that, they don't lose much. They have probably the best linebackers in, in college football. Uh, the offense line is a tiny bit of a question mark, but bringing Taylor back, Decker back is really, really going to help. Uh, I, they have a cakewalk of a schedule. Uh, I really can't see them not making the playoffs. Uh, then i got to go with uh, TCU. I know this isn't really different from what anybody else is saying, but, I mean, TCU showed at the end of the year how good they are. They're going to be playing with a chip on their shoulder. You, I can guarantee you that if they're on the line that they'll make the playoffs because of, uh, you know, how things shook out last year. I'm going to have to go with Baylor 3. I think no matter who, you, you could put me in at quarterback. I'm going to throw 4,000 yards. I believe they return all five of their offensive linemen, and uh, they bring back 2,000-yard receivers. Number four, Oregon Ducks. Uh, I really am excited to see if Vernon Adams plays. The Eastern Washington transfer through for 10,000 yards in his career so far, over 120 touchdowns. And then number five for me is maybe I'm a little biased, but uh, I'm, the, I'm you know fan of the Big Ten. But I think Michigan State has has everything. And uh, other apart from Ohio State, I mean they, they're gonna they can beat anybody on their schedule. Uh, um, they have a much tougher schedule, so next year, so they'll be able to get in. They're gonna get to host Oregon next year early in the year. So if they can beat Oregon and uh, and and then play close against Ohio State or or beat Ohio State and play close against Oregon, this is a team that could probably make the playoffs. But I'd have to go with that as my top five. And like I said, I think Connor Cook is as good as a college quarterback as there is. 
right, DJ. Well, it's the debut of your Fierce 40 here because that's what is going to be coming along pretty soon as the spring and summer roll around. You want to preview your Fierce 40 maybe with the top 10? The top 10 as I have it so far. We can do that again. There's just a subject to change, obviously, because uh, we're, we're going to have to injuries and where some people end up and then what's going to happen in uh, these camps are going to dictate it. Uh, we'll go 10 right now. My number 10 team is Ole Miss. Uh, we talked about the number of just sheer prospects, and Laramie Tunkel, another guy who's going to be coming off of an in injury, uh, a lot like Ronnie Stanley from Notre Dame last year, had he been able to, uh, he actually had a chance to declare for the draft, and I think Tunkel may have done so. He may have been the, maybe uh, the maybe the second or third lineman off the board, uh, but he suffered an injury late. He'll be coming back, and I actually have him as the number two prospect uh, for the draft uh, coming in. Right now, number nine, I've got Stanford. I think uh, Stanford is uh, David Shaw. I think if there's any coach at the NCAA level right now that could be going into the pros, David Shaw to me just it's just an exosome type that uh, that I think could at one point we could see be uh, going into the NFL maybe within the next two to three years, maybe following the Jim Harbaugh plan and, and going into the NFL and being successful at the next level. Uh, you've got a, a, a very pro style offense there at Stanford, and they're always turning out prospects as well. Uh, number eight, I currently have Oregon. Again, they're, you're able to just get people in and out of that offense, uh, whether uh, we're, obviously we're not going to have Marcus Mariota at, at quarterback, but with uh, Vernon Adams and, our, and some other you know, uh, people, uh, with Thomas Tyner and Byron Marshall, you're going to have some good people running the football. Whether um, uh, Farrell Brown's going to be back after a very, very horrific knee injury at, at tight end, uh, People got to remember how many wide receivers they were down uh, late in the season last year. I think it was their top three receivers from the year before were actually down. But uh, Oregon, they're they're just able to win uh, ten games. It's kind of automatic year in and year out. I've got Baylor at number seven, uh, and much like uh, Zach had said, you can be successful with putting someone else in the quarterback. Uh, it doesn't really have to be that uh, you know that Bryce Petty type. There's there's enough weapons there and, and people to catch the football to make Baylor. Uh, competitive, and when you got people like Sean Oakman and Sean Billing uh, along that line, you've got uh, people who are going to stop the football, and they're going to be a little more stout up front than a lot of people are going to give them credit for. Um, I've got uh, Florida State again, same kind of thing, and, and whether Everett Golson ends up here, that's that's kind of a question mark. They they seem to struggle a little bit when Sean McGuire was actually behind uh, uh, behind center really struggled in the game against Clemson last year, so there's a little bit of uncertainty at quarterback. But we'll see how Dalvin Cook had a very good impact there as a freshman. Um, going into my top five, number five, I currently have USC. I think there's, you know, you've got a very good quarterback in Cody Kessler coming back, put up some very good numbers, as long as they're still able to maintain that ground game with, with Buck Allen now moving on to the pros. And there, there was so much talent on defense there. It wasn't all Leonard Williams, that front seven. They were, they were a little inconsistent at times, but there's enough playmakers there, and they're so interchangeable that USC is, I think, poised to kind of take the, take the reins from Oregon uh, and teams like Stanford and, and, and ascend to the top of the Pac-12 this year. Uh, Alabama at four. Gotta, again, Alabama's always there in the thick of it in the SEC. Uh, Derrick Henry being the centerpiece. And I think the offensive line's going to look a little better. It was a, kind of a down year for them last year. You know, they had a couple people taken with uh, – 
led by Austin Shepard, who I believe went to the Vikings, uh, their offensive tackle there. The defensive line is just ridiculous. You have players like Ashawn Robinson and Darren Lake that can be dominant. Uh, again, they don't put up the numbers because Alabama really just, they, they run those uh, defensive uh, people in, uh, in and out as much as they can or when they're not facing teams that uh, kind of go hurry up against them and take that away from Alabama. And we don't have Nick Saban kind of crying about the hurry-up offense. But uh, they are interchangeable, and there's a, a lot of people there that can play virtually any position along that line. At three, I've got Michigan State. Uh, Michigan State, uh, they've got a lot of people returning. Uh, next, to, uh, next to Ohio State, I think Michigan State is probably second on the list when it comes to just players that are coming back at key positions that, that can really perform, of course, if led by Connor Cook. This may be the best offensive line in football, though. Even though they lose Jeremy Langford, you've got players like Jack Allen and Jack Conklin. They've got a, a very – they have a chance to be the best offensive line uh, at the college football level. And I think if they're able to find someone to kind of tote the rock consistently with, with Jeremy Lankford gone, uh, Michigan State's got a, a good chance at possibly making it two teams from the Big Ten uh, that are actually going to be in the college uh, playoff. And, uh, and that, that may be hard to do. And much like Zach, TCU at two, Ohio State at one, just because I, I like the fact that TCU is going to be playing with that chip on their shoulder. We've got Travoyne Boykin back for his senior season. There's a lot of, just a lot of weapons and a, a number of things you can do uh, with that offense there. And, of course, Ohio State, I think I have five of the top 25 pro, uh, prospects for this, uh, actually, NFL draft class actually coming out of Ohio State. Because when you look at it, you know, you had to, you had the defending national champions, but they didn't have a, a player taken in the first round. There was there's some players picked, obviously, but it's not like they were stocked or like, like you hear from so many other uh, past years where a team wins a national championship and they've got to replace a lot of key components because a lot of people move on to the NFL. Uh, a couple people that went, you know, weren't taken in the first round. There were some good people they lost, but they, they're just so many underclassmen and so many people who contributed there that uh, the, the cupboard is just not fair to Ohio State. They, they look to be I think them and TCU are kind of in their own uh, – I think those top two teams are kind of in their own level right now, and, it, and it's everyone else behind them. So if they're able to kind of run the table in their respective conferences, that would set up a very, very interesting national championship game. How about the Michigan Wolverines? Where do you have them ranked? 200. <laughs> I currently have them at number 33 in my, uh, my preliminary first 40. They are, they are ranked outside the top 25, but – Again, with the Fierce 40, we give you the top 40, not the top 25. They're currently number 33. Anything else going on in the offseason so far in the NFL or college football that you want to talk about, Zach? I'd like to drop an early Super Bowl prediction right now. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Away. All right, I think it's going to be the Cowboys. Uh, I was just thinking about it last time. They're going to have the best offensive line in football. Uh, I really like what they did in the draft. Um, addressing both their secondary and their pass rush in the first two rounds. And, and I think that Darren McFadden and Joseph Randall and Ryan Williams are not going to be that much of a drop-off from uh, DeMarco Murray. And I think they made the right choice when you're paying somebody like Darren McFadden. I think it was like $5.5 million over two years, and you have somebody like DeMarco Murray making $8 million. I like everything that they've done. I like that they got they signed Lel, Lel Collins. And uh, I think that they're... They're, that's going to be the NFC Super Bowl representative. And I think they're a team that Seattle already knows this, that, that can beat Seattle in Seattle. 
Uh, and then I'm going to go with Pittsburgh Steelers because it's the same exact situation. A really, really good offensive line, a really good quarterback, and I really like what they did in the draft. Uh, on, the, on the defensive side of the ball, I think it's going to be a classic Super Bowl. Zach, so you picked the Pittsburgh Steelers going to the Super Bowl and Ohio State number one. Should we have uh, any concern over that and your bias? Maybe for the Steelers. You know, I hate to say it, but I'm just going to stick with the New England Patriots because this, uh, this almost seems that everything that's going on with the Slate Gate, like they're poking the sleeping bear here. Uh, even last year after they were written off, after they were just absolutely whacked by the Chiefs on Monday Night Football, they got out of that gate with a 2-2 two and two start. Everyone's always looking for the time when you can just bury the Patriots and they're moving on. I mean, after they were 2-2, two and two, people forget there were people that were calling for Jimmy Garoppolo to be the quarterback. There were some actual diehards saying, oh, it's over for Tom Brady. We should start planning for the future. This is the year we don't win the AFC East. And what happens, they not only win the East, but, you know, they, they go the whole way. They win the title. Now with everything that's going on in the Slate Gate and all the controversy, it just seems like when you talk about playing with a chip on your shoulder, just whenever you want to be, just bury the Patriots and just say, you know, this team is dead and gone. It's time for the next team to ascend to that, that, top, that top threat in the AFC. New England just finds a way to get it done. I, I, I'm not going to bet against them right now, but I think if, if you do or if there is a weakness, I don't suspect it's going to be in the offensive side of the football, even with Tom Brady missing four games. I think it's going to be with the fact with that secondary and the fact that uh, Browner and, and Revis are no longer there, and uh, you know they're going to find themselves a little bit more susceptible on the defensive side of the football. But right now, I, I just can't. I just can't pick against them. I like the Dallas pick in the NFC. I think that's something that, that really, I would say, makes a lot of sense. So uh, I'm, I'm going to say yes yes to Dallas as well. But right now, oh, I, like I, that. Just, I just can't, I, I can't bet against uh, the Patriots. They always find a way to get it done. They just defy logic, and uh, I'm just not ready to bury them yet. I am ready to bury them. I think they're done. <laughs> I keep waiting for Dallas to sign Felix Jones so that they could get that Arkansas monster that Jared Jones loves again. Anything else you guys want to talk about? Yeah, but I'm gonna. The only other thing I'm gonna call. It's been 37 damn years. It's been there, so it's been too long. I think this is the year we finally get a triple crown winner too. I think American Pharaoh. No, I think we. I, I agree. I, I said it's a app for the Derby. I just American Pharaoh. I thought I had a feeling. I went last year for California Chrome. It was a, just a disaster. Everyone, you know, booked for the uh, the exits, and it was just uh, like you know. I almost got crushed. It makes you lose faith in humanity. <laughs> I'm actually going to Belmont. I, I, I watched the race, and I said, you know what? I'm buying tickets. I feel like this is the year. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, though, from experience, this, this will be my fourth or fourth time going to a potential uh, crown winner. I mean, if they don't win, you just have to sit there for, like, another two hours because everyone tries to leave at once, and it's, it's a nightmare. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for joining Glad you got a preview of 2016. We're probably the first ones out there. I know we're the first ones with a mock draft. Uh, that we're going to keep expanding. Maybe we'll have a two-round coming soon. DJ's Fierce 40 is coming up pretty soon, and there's a number of other things to look forward to over the next couple weeks and couple months. If you're fans of other sports, the baseball MLB draft is in a couple weeks, first week of June. NBA lottery is tomorrow night for the NBA draft in June. And then a couple days later is the NHL draft, which is in the midst of an exciting playoff series for both of them. 
if you're a sports fan, it's a great time of year. And if you're a draft fan, still got more coming. So thanks, everyone, for coming out. DJ, Zach, thank you, guys. Thank you. We'll see you soon. Yeah. Yeah.